open up in our Bibles tonight to Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25. We're going to read just one verse. Proverbs 25, verse 14. Proverbs 25, verse 14. This is what it says, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. I'll read it one more time. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. Let's ask God's blessing on our study of His Word tonight. Lord God, again, we thank You for Your Word, and we know that Your Word brings life And specifically, when it comes to the book of Proverbs, uh, your word shows us how to live in this world as Christ's people. Uh, And so we pray that you would give us grace to live well and to live wisely uh, as Christ's people as we study your word and as we look at this proverb together tonight. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, congregation, uh, politicians... Uh, are well known for making bold and audacious promises during their campaigns uh, and then not fulfilling these promises once they're elected. Uh, About three years ago, the political website Axios listed some of the biggest broken promises made by presidents uh, in the last century. Uh, Here is some of what they wrote. Woodrow Wilson won re-election in 1916 with the slogan, He kept us out of war, only to enter World War I a few months later. Lyndon B. Johnson promised in 1964, We are not about to send American boys nine or 10,000 miles away from home to do what Asian boys ought to be doing for themselves. During his presidency, the U.S. entered the Vietnam War, and Johnson did not seek re-election. Richard Nixon, in 1968, claimed to have a secret plan to end the war and promised to find a way to peace with honor in Vietnam. Uh, if If any of those things happened under Richard Nixon, you can let me know. Jimmy Carter campaigned on solving the energy crisis. But his speeches about conservation and attempts to add solar panels to the roof of the White House weren't good enough. He was unable to get support for a gas tax, and the energy problem only worsened during his presidency. Ronald Reagan promised to make a constitutional amendment allowing uh, school prayer during his campaign, and although he proposed the amendment in 1982, it never went anywhere. You should probably learn from that. You can promise to propose an amendment. Uh, You probably shouldn't actually promise to get the amendment all the way through Congress since no one president has that power. George H.W. Bush famously promised in 1988, read my lips, no new taxes. Only to sign a bill raising taxes during his first term. 
Bill Clinton campaigned on a renovation of the healthcare system before he took office in 1993. Although he attempted healthcare reform, it ended in failure. George W. Bush promised to change the tone in Washington, D.C. He promised, promised to privatize Social Security and reduce government spending, neither of which he did. Barack Obama, according to one website, made 533 promises, broke 48%, well, excuse me, kept 48% of them, broke 24% of them, and apparently the other 28% still remain unaccounted for. I have no idea. But uh, he broke a fair share uh, of his, I, I thought that was funny, that's exactly what it said. He, he, he made 533 promises, he kept 48%, he broke 24%, and I was like, that doesn't equal 100%, so where's the, other, where's the rest of them? Whatever, you can take that wherever you want. Uh, this is what politicians do, uh, unfortunately. Uh, politicians break promises. I remember a certain governor saying in a not-so-nice way that she was going to fix the roads in our state. Have the roads been fixed? They were pretty nasty going up eight mile. Anyway, it's what politicians do. Republican, Democrat, left, right. It's what they do. They break promises. And what would we say about these politicians then? Well, what we would say is that they are like clouds and wind without rain. That comes from Proverbs 25, verse 14. Like clouds and wind, without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. So, so Solomon here compares those who do not keep their promises to clouds and wind without rain. Just think about that for a moment. Clouds and wind without rain. Uh, imagine it's mid-July. It's hot it hasn't rained for, let's say, two weeks. We really need some rain. You see clouds off to the west, and you start to get your hopes up. The clouds roll in, the temperature drops, the wind starts blowing, it feels like rain, there's a couple spits, and it's done. We've all seen it haven't we? We've all been there. And what do we think in that moment? Well, that was disappointing, right? All the signs said rain. The sky promised rain, but it didn't rain. That's what those who do not keep their promises are like. They are like wind and clouds without rain. They are of all people most disappointing. Maybe you've experienced this disappointment on a personal level. Maybe you had a parent who constantly made promises. Maybe you had a dad who promised to take you fishing or who promised that he was going to play catch with you in the yard when he got home from work. But all you remember is him breaking those promises. You never remember him actually following through on any of them, and it's terribly disappointing. Or maybe you had a child who made promises, 
Your child grew up and maybe got into some bad habits. He started drinking. He promised that he'd stop drinking. Or, or he stopped going to church and, and, and you go to him and say, you should go to church. And he promised you that he would start going to church again. And every time he made these promises, you get, these, you get your hopes up, right, only to be let down again. He still drinks. He still doesn't go to church. He hasn't kept any of those promises. Or maybe you had a spouse uh, who promised that they would love you in sickness and in health for richer or for poorer, until death, and they broke the promise. And the joy and the hope that they afforded you on your wedding day turned into something that was empty and hollow and meaningless, right? Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give on the other hand, this, this, so this proverb on one hand, I guess, speaks, um, speaks to uh, those who make promises without following through, and it says, you know, they're, they're, they're terribly disappointing people, right? They're terribly disappointing people. They are people who get your hopes up only to dash them to pieces. They are people who leave our souls dry, all right? That, that, that's who people who break their promises are like. Now, what's interesting is, is that the imagery from this proverb is applied uh, in the New Testament uh, to a certain group of people. We see it in the letter of Jude. It's applied to false teachers, okay? Jude uh, writes his letter to warn us about false teachers who slip into the church and who exchange the grace of God uh, for a license to immorality, and he's speaking about these false teachers in verse 12. Remember, Jude's only one chapter, so this is Jude verse 12. This is what Jude says about those false teachers. He says, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. These are shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds swept along by winds. Now, Second uh, Peter chapter 2, you might, we just studied Jude here at Prosper, so I'm, I'm sort of speaking as if the people should know all this, but a lot of you weren't here for that. Second Peter 2 and Jude are like the same thing. Uh, one of them had to have been using the other uh, for his source. They say a lot of the same thing, address a lot of the same material, speaking to the same situation. Uh, each one is kind of a commentary uh, for the other. So Second Peter chapter 2 uh, seemingly tells us exactly why Jude calls these false teachers waterless clouds, okay? This is Second Peter 2 verse 19, speaking again about, it seems, the same false teachers whom Jude is speaking about. Peter writes this, they promise them freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption. So that's what the false teachers that uh, the false teachers of Jude and Peter's day were doing. They came in, they came in saying, because God is gracious, we can live however we want. We can be sexually immoral. We can gratify the flesh. And they, they made all these claims in the name of Christian freedom. And Jude and Peter uh, both said, no, this is a false teaching. These people are heretics. The grace of God, while sufficient for your sin, does not ever actually give you a license to sin. And so Peter says these people who promise you freedom are in fact enslaved to the passions of the flesh, and Jude just says these people who make these empty promises are waterless clouds. And so anyway, Jude essentially applies this proverb to people who make a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus but who live lives uh, that betray their 
profession. He applies it to people who talk a good game, uh, but when we really get to know them, we see that they do not possess actually a true and living faith in the Lord Jesus, right? These people, too, are disappointing because they're people whom we think we have Christian fellowship with, uh, but in the end, it's not there. Uh, so that's, that's this proverb on the one hand. It acknowledges that those who promise something and don't follow through are terribly disappointing people. They are like clouds and wind without rain. That's one side of the proverb. The other side of the proverb, uh, or on the other hand, this proverb calls us to be people then who keep our promises, right? Recognizing that the last thing any one of us wants to be compared to in our lives is uh, wind and clouds without rain. The proverb then calls us to be people who keep our promises because we don't want to, we don't want to be disappointing. Now, we want to be people who are satisfying. We want to be people who are refreshing. We want to be people whom others can trust. Right? So the proverb acknowledges the disappointing nature of those who break their promises. The proverb calls us to be people who keep our promises. Of course, in keeping our promises, then, we are what? We're imitators of God. God's character and God's own identity is rooted in these Proverbs and is rooted in this wisdom in our world. But, but, but who is our God? Is our God disappointing? Is our God like uh, a cloud and wind without rain? No, absolutely not. Our God is just the opposite, right? Our God is a God who keeps His promises. Our God is a God who does what He said He's going to do and who gives us what He said He's going to give us. And we see no shortage of evidence of this throughout Scripture Right? That God is a God who keeps His promises. In Genesis 15, the word of the Lord comes to Abraham in a vision. And God says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Abraham says, how can this be since I'm childless? The Lord proceeds to bring Abraham outside, and he says, look towards the heaven and number the stars if you are able, so shall your offspring be. Now, you probably know the story of Abraham. By this time, he and his wife are getting old. Uh, it seems that their years for having children are past, and yet we turn to Exodus chapter 1, and what do we read in Exodus chapter 1? Well, this, then Joseph died. And all Joseph's brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So who's Joseph and his brothers? Joseph and his brothers are great-grandchildren of Abraham. The people of Israel are their descendants and ultimately Abraham's descendants. So in Genesis 15, God promises Abraham a great gift he promises Abraham that his offspring will be as many as the stars in the sky. We turn to Exodus 1, and Abraham's offspring, Abraham's descendants, are said to fill the whole land of Egypt. God fulfilled his promise. Of course, he fulfilled it to an even greater degree beyond that, but his promise-keeping ways are certainly evident already in Exodus chapter 1. Think of another instance where God makes a great promise. Psalm 37, 4, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. We read about uh, what once happened to Elisha. 
And his servant, the king of Syria, wanted to capture him. And so the king of Syria sent his army to surround Elisha. And we're told he sent chariots and he sent horses. And he sent this great army just to go against Elisha and his servant, right? Elisha's servant wakes up early the next morning. And he goes outside and he sees the army surrounding him and Elisha. And he cries out. He says, Elisha, what are we going to do? And Elisha responds by saying, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he prays that God would open his servant's eyes. God did. And Elisha's servant sees the mountains are filled with horses and chariots of fire. It's a fulfillment of God's promise in Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. And then there's the story of Jeremiah. I could have picked any number of stories to prove this point, but... There's the story of Jeremiah, one of my favorite stories because it's kind of bold and outrageous, but we read about it in Jeremiah 32. Here God comes to Jeremiah while Israel is being besieged by the king of Babylon, and God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I am giving this city of Jerusalem into the hands of the Babylonians, and yet here's what I want you to do. I want you to buy a field. I don't know if you know this, but buying real estate to a city under attack that is about to fall to a foreign power is usually not considered to be a good investment. But God says to Jeremiah, I want you to buy a field in the city that is being conquered. I'm sure real estate was cheap. And then at the end of the story, we see why God wanted Jeremiah to buy that field, uh, because God promised that he would bring his people back into the promised land, and houses and fields and vineyards would again be bought in it, right? And Jeremiah's buying that field was a testimony of his faith in God, a testimony that he believed God would do what he said he was going to do and bring his people back to the promised land. Well, 70 years later, what does God do? We read about it in Ezra and Nehemiah. God brings his people back to Jerusalem. And no doubt by the days of Jesus, certainly, we see houses and fields and vineyards, again, being bought and sold in the promised land. That's our God, right? Our God is not like a cloud and wind without rain. Uh, our God uh, is not one who disappoints. No, our God keeps His Word. That which He promises to us, He brings to pass course, I didn't even mention about how we see throughout the Old Testament promise after promise after promise about the coming Messiah, right? In Genesis 3.15, God says to the serpent, hey, serpent, from this woman is going to come one who will crush your head. In Genesis 12, Abraham is told all nations will be blessed through you. In Genesis 49, Judah is told that the scepter will never depart uh, from his house. In 2 Samuel 7, King David is told that he will have a descendant on the throne forever. The prophet Isaiah tells us about one who would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The psalmist tells us about one who would be forsaken by God. 
Certainly, that's not even an exhaustive list of the Messianic promises in the Old Testament, but all of those promises are fulfilled in Christ, right? In Christ, God answers all of those promises with a resounding yes and amen, okay? Our God is not like clouds and wind without rain. Our God is not like a politician. God is not like the father who promises to play catch after work every week but never does. God is not like the spouse who made a vow and then went back on it. No, God keeps his promises. And isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? I mean, I don't know why I guess this probably happens to all of us at various points in our lives. Maybe I'm going through a midlife crisis. I don't know. But, uh, like, I've just been overwhelmed uh, lately, and I've told you some of this before, by just the brokenness of the world. And obviously, this this was even before the events of last week. But, you know, our adoption, we were introduced to a pretty broken situation and broken people. And then I picked up a hitchhiker on the road. If you want to meet a broken person, pick up a hitchhiker on the road. Um, just been overwhelmed and just had instance after instance of just the brokenness that exists in our world. And then, yes, we get the news this past week of a deranged lunatic who went into an elementary school and shot 19 children. And um, it's a bit overwhelming. Um, and yet God right? We can't forget that God has promised us uh, a future, a glorious future, uh, a day when there is going to be no more suffering, mourning, crying, or pain, a day when there will be no more uh, mental illness, hitchhiking down M55, a day when there will be no more kids that actually need to be adopted, uh, a day when... um, Deranged lunatics won't barge into an elementary school. Uh, A a day when the dwelling of God is with men, and He will wipe every tear from their eye and be their God, and they will be His people. And um, uh, it's good news, right, that our God is not like clouds and wind without rain. And certainly then we can look forward to that day with every fiber of our being, we can look forward to that day with great eagerness and anticipation because our God is a God who does what He says He will do. And so, look ahead, Christian. Keep your eye on the prize. Believe that God will do what He's promised. Keep fighting the good fight of faith and keep your promises. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the wisdom afforded to us in your word. It is our prayer tonight that you would give us grace to apply uh, this truth to our hearts, that you would cause us more and more to be people uh, in Christ who keep our word, and that you would also help us to recognize what a great God we have, a God who keeps his word. All of this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, why don't you stand? I'll give you a parting blessing, and then we'll sing our closing song together. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and grant you His peace. Amen. Our closing song is holy.
Holy, holy. Number 262. Holy, holy, holy. And uh, I'll get your verses in one second, Mary. Oh, we'll do, uh, I think we'll do all four, all right? All four. Holy, holy, holy. 